We are going to be continuing back in our sermon series in Samuel. So we're back into Samuel, and we've been looking at the stories that shape God's people. And again, these are the stories that have shaped ancient Israel for a thousand years and the Christian church for the last 2,000 years. So this, these stories have been shaping God's people for 3,000 years. And today we're going to look at perhaps the most familiar story from the book of Samuel. And you could probably guess what it is. It is the story of David and Goliath. Um, This is a familiar story for most people. It's still actively told and understood in today's culture. In fact, just recently, a New York Times best-selling author, Malcolm Gladwell, wrote a book called David and Goliath. Movies and stories and um, music bring out the story of the the, the small guy beating the big guy, right? And the concept is used in businesses and everywhere. It's a familiar children's story, although... As we'll see, it isn't the most children-friendly story. At the end, a guy gets his head chopped off. So, uh, but nevertheless, we tell our kids this story. It's shaped our culture. And maybe, maybe in many ways has often been misunderstood. Again, we often apply this that the little guy can beat the big guy. Well, that's true, but really isn't the main point of this story. We use it as an example of courage, which is also true but maybe not the main point. Or we say, what are the giants in our life that we're facing? Again, there's an application there. But really, the main point of this story is that victory comes from the Lord. Victory comes from the Lord. We've already seen this, by the way, in Samuel. So those who have been following us through this sermon series, we saw that when it came to the ark next to Dagon. Remember this big statue of Dagon? The ark is put in the temple the statue of Dagon is found with its face face on the ground. The next day it comes, its head and its hands are broken off. And we saw this with the Amalekites, that God gives victory to Israel again and again. That victory comes not from the strength of our weaponry, but from the Lord. And once again, God makes it crystal clear here in Samuel that the Lord is the one who brings victory. This is a long passage. 58 verses, so, uh, but I really, you really can't cut this up. I have to sort of go through the whole thing. So what I want to do this morning is as I'm reading through chapter 17 of 1 Samuel, I'm going to make some commentary as we go through it, and then we're going to look at three sort of applications as we continue to look at the story of 1 Samuel 17, the story of David and Goliath. And uh, many of you guys, I'm sure, again, are familiar with this, but you're probably going to find that there are some new things in here. Things that you weren't familiar with that never really came, stuck out to you before. David, you may remember, had been anointed privately by Samuel. Nobody knows about it but his own family. And then one part that we're sort of skipping over is that Saul begins to be tormented. It says by an evil spirit. He's starting to really face some serious demons in his own life. And he calls for a musician. And lo and behold, of all the people that he could call in all of Israel... They bring the young boy, who's known to be a talented musician, harpist, they bring in David. David ends up being the one person chosen, totally unbeknownst to Saul, that he was anointed to come and minister to Saul. And when he plays his music, there's sort of a relief for Saul. But then we come to 17. Now the Philistines gathered their armies for battle. 
Philistines are the primary enemy of Israel. They were probably the greater, stronger nation in general. And they were gathered at Soko, which belongs to Judah, and encamped between Soko and Azekah in Ephesdamim. And Saul and the men of Israel were gathered and encamped in the valley of Elah and drew up in line of battle against the Philistines. And the Philistines stood on the mountain on one side, and Israel stood on the mountain on the other side with a valley between them. And there came out from the camp of the Philistines a champion. That's sort of a technical term. Rather than these two nations going to war and hundreds if not thousands of people being killed, sort of a tradition, not a common one, but one we find in the ancient world is, each side would choose a champion. And the two champions would fight, and whoever wins, wins for his nation. The champion named Goliath of Gath whose height was six cubits and a span, which, if correct, means he was about ten feet tall. (laughs) He was enormous. However, the Septuagint, the Dead Sea Scrolls, have a different number, four cubits and a span, which puts him about six foot nine. Either way, he would have towered over everyone around him. He had a helmet of bronze on his head, and he was armed with a coat of mail. And the weight of the coat was five thousand shekels of bronze. And he had bronze armor on his legs and a javelin of bronze slung between his shoulders. The shaft of his spear was like a weaver's beam and his spear's head weighed 600 shekels of iron. And his shield bearer went before him. Shield bearer was carrying a shield that would have gone from his head all the way to his feet. He stood up and shouted to the ranks of Israel, Why have you come out to draw up for battle? Am I not a Philistine? And are you not servants of Saul? Choose a man for yourselves and let him come down to me. If he is able to fight with me and kill me, then we will be your servants. But if I prevail against him and kill him, then you shall be our servants and serve us. Which, by the way, the Philistines live up to their promise when, of course, they lose. And the Philistines said, I defy the ranks of Israel this day. Give me a man that we may fight together. When Saul and all Israel heard these words of the Philistine, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. Now David was the son of an Ephrathite of Bethlehem in Judah named Jesse, who had eight sons. You may remember he was the youngest of eight. In the days of Saul, the man who was already old and advanced in years, the three oldest sons of Jesse had followed Saul to the battle. And the names of his three sons who went to the battle were Eliab the firstborn, and next to him Abinadab, and the third Shammah. David was the youngest. The three eldest followed Saul. But David went back and forth from Saul to feed his father's sheep at Bethlehem. For forty days... The Philistine came forward and took his stand morning and evening. Verse 17, And Jesse said to David his son, Take for your brothers an ephah of this parched grain and these ten loaves and carry them quickly to the camp to your brothers. Also take these ten cheeses to the commander of their thousand. See if your brothers are well and bring some token from them. 
Now Saul and they and all the men of Israel were in the valley of Elah, fighting with the Philistines. And David rose early in the morning and left the sheep with a keeper and took the provisions and went as Jesse had commanded him. And he came to the encampment as the host was going out to the battle line, shouting the war cry. And Israel and the Philistines drew up for battle, army against army. And David left the things in charge of the keeper of the baggage and ran to the ranks and went and greeted his brothers. And he talked with them, behold, and as he talked with them, behold, the champion, the Philistine of Gath, Goliath by name, came up out of the ranks of the Philistines and spoke the same words as before. And David heard him. All the men of Israel, when they saw the man, fled from him and were much afraid. And the men of Israel said, Have you seen this man who has come up? Surely he has come up to defy Israel. And the king will enrich the man who kills him with great riches and will give him his daughter and make his father's house free in Israel. That last phrase basically means they will never have to pay taxes. The house of Jesse would never have to pay taxes again. And David said to the men who stood by him, What shall be done for the man who kills this Philistine and takes away the reproach from Israel? For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? And the people answered him in the same way, So shall it be done to the man who kills him. Now Eliab, his eldest brother, heard when he spoke to the men. And Eliab's anger was kindled against David. little brotherly conflict here. And he said, Why have you come down? And with whom have you left those few sheep in the wilderness? I know your presumption and the evil of your heart, for you have come down to see the battle. And David said, What have I done now? Was it not but a word? And he turned away from him toward another and spoke in the same way, and the people answered him again as before. When the words that David spoke were heard, they repeated them before Saul. He sent for him. And David said to Saul, Let no man's heart fail because your servant, meaning himself, will go and fight with this Philistine. And Saul said to David, You are not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him, for you are but a youth, and he has been a man of war from his youth. But David said to Saul, Your servant used to keep sheep for his father. And when there came a lion or a bear and took a lamb from the flock, I went after him and struck him and delivered it out of his mouth. And if he arose against me, I caught him by his beard and struck him and killed him. Your servant has struck down both lions and bears. And this uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them, for he has defied the armies of the living God. And David said, The Lord, who delivered me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear, will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. And Saul said to David, Go, and the Lord be with you. Then Saul clothed David with his armor. You may remember that Saul is head and shoulders taller than everybody else in Israel. He put a helmet of bronze on his head and clothed him with a coat of mail. And David strapped his sword over his armor And he tried in vain to go, for he had not tested them. Then David said to Saul, I cannot go with these, for I have not tested them. So David put them off. Then he took his staff in his hand and chose five smooth stones from the brook and put them in his shepherd's pouch. 
His sling was in his hand, and he approached the Philistine. And the Philistine moved forward and came near to David with his shield in front of him. And when the Philistine looked and saw David, he disdained him, for he was but a youth, ruddy and handsome in appearance. And the Philistine said to David, Am I a dog that you come to me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. The Philistine said to David, Come to me, and I will give your flesh to the birds of the air and to the beasts of the field. Then David said to the Philistine, You come to me with a sword and with a spear and with a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day... The Lord will deliver you into my hand, and I will strike you down and cut off your head. I will give the dead bodies of the host of the Philistines this day to the birds of the air and to the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel, and all this, that all this assembly may know that the Lord saves, not with sword and spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hand. 48. When the Philistine arose and came and drew near to meet David ran quickly toward the battle line to meet the Philistine. And David put his hand in his bag and took out a stone and slung it and struck the Philistine on his forehead. The stone sank into his forehead and he fell on his face to the ground. So David prevailed over the Philistine with a sling and with a stone and struck the Philistine and killed him. There was no sword in the hand of David. Then David ran and stood over the Philistine and took his sword and drew it out of its sheath and killed him and cut off his head with it. When the Philistines saw that their champion was dead, they fled. And the men of Israel and Judah rose with a shout and pursued the Philistines as far as Gath and the gates of Ekron, so that the wounded Philistines fell on the way from Sha'arim as far as Gath and Ekron. And the people of Israel came back from chasing the Philistines, and they pillaged their camp. And David took the head of the Philistine and brought it to Jerusalem. But he put his armor in his tent. As soon as Saul saw David go out against the Philistine, he, saw, he said to Abner, the commander of the army, Abner, whose son is this youth? And Abner said, As your soul lives, O king, I do not know. And the king said, Inquire whose son the boy is. And as soon as David returned from the striking down of the Philistine, Abner took him and brought him before Saul with the head of the Philistine in his hand. And Saul said to him, Whose son are you, young man? And David said, I am the son of your servant Jesse, the Bethlehemite. May the Lord add his blessing to the reading and the study and application of his word this morning. Great story, right? (laughs) I could almost end the sermon just by reading it because it's such an engaging story for us. But look at what you have here. This is where we're going in the sermon. Verses 1 to 23 uh, in general. The Lord uses the weak and unexpected. 24 to 27, the Lord fights for his glory and purpose. And then finally, 48 to 57, the Lord brings victory through his anointing. So first, let's look at David. That the Lord uses the weak and the unexpected. David is the last person in the world you would expect to go up against Goliath. 
Goliath, again, is six foot nine or ten feet tall, depending on the interpretation. He is a seasoned warrior. He is absolutely covered in armor. Most of us probably couldn't even get the amount of armor uh, that is on him. And David is the youngest son of Jesse, a shepherd in Bethlehem. Um, we don't know how old he is. I kind of imagine him around the 16, 17 years old age, I would guess. His, in fact, his oldest three bro- the oldest three of his family are off to war. That means there are four other brothers before you even get to David who aren't even old enough to join the army. <laughs> there are th- only the three oldest are there. In fact, the only reason why David wasn't even supposed to be there The only reason why he ends up being at this battle is because he's the cheese boy. (laughs) He's the supply guy. His dad says, I want you to go and bring some grain and some bread and some cheese. So just go there, give it to them, get a token from them, make sure they're okay, and then come home. But David, when he's there, he finds out what is happening. The Goliath comes out and he finds out about this certain reward that is given to the person who defeats him. In fact, he gets into this little argument, and his older brother, remember Eliab, is the one that Samuel said, surely the Lord's anointed stands before me. He looks the part. He's like a little Saul, a younger Saul here. Eliab, a little jealous perhaps of his youngest brother because he got anointed and Eliab didn't, sort of rebukes him and says, you're here just for the gratuitous violence. You need to get out of here. And he's, what did I do? You know, just that brotherly conflict. And even when he comes finally to Saul... Saul gets word that David is willing to fight. He's the only person in the whole army willing to fight. Saul says, you can't fight Goliath. You're a kid. <laughs> You're a youth. This, this giant has been fighting since he was your age, and he's well-seasoned as a warrior. You don't have a chance whatsoever. He's the weak. He's the unexpected. Now, why, why does God keep doing this? Right? If you know your Bibles, you know that God does this throughout the Bible. He chooses the lesser. He chooses the weaker. He oftentimes chooses the younger. Often, you know, there's two brothers, he chooses the younger of the two. Here he chooses the youngest of eight. (laughs) He chooses the unexpected. And we see this, of course, especially when it comes to Jesus himself. Who is Jesus? He is a no-name carpenter from Nazareth, up in the region of Galilee, with no title, No formal education, no rabbinic training, no position of authority. And he ends up coming as the Messiah and the Savior of the world. Let me talk about a few reasons why I think God continues to do this. First of all, it challenges our presuppositions. As God said to Samuel, man looks at the outward appearance. We want to look at the exterior and make a judgment based on that, but there's more to a human being than that. God sees the heart. He sees character. He sees integrity. There's something more to the outward appearance, and he challenges our idea of thinking that the outward appearance is all there is to us. Next reason, it shows us that that we're all weak before God. God can use anyone. In fact, God can use anything. As Jesus himself said, God could raise up a stone (laughs) and turn it into a son of Abraham. God himself can part the seas and use the seas to crash in and defeat the most powerful army in the world at that time, the Egyptian army. And God can use a boy to win a victory over the Philistines. We're all weak before him. But perhaps most importantly, and related to that, it's because God gets 
the glory. If God owns the strong, right? If he used the Eliab, then you could say, well, I mean, he was a warrior himself. He was big and strong. And maybe it's just human strength that really overcame. But again and again, God proves that it's his power and his work by using the unexpected and the weak. 1 Corinthians chapter 1 says, Where is the wise man? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Didn't God make foolish the wisdom of this world? In, uh, for, inst- for since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom. It was pleased through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. And he says to these Corinthians who are absolutely obsessed with eloquence and erudition, he says, Consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you are wise according to your worldly standards. Not many were powerful, not many were of noble birth, but God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even the things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. Jesus himself said, Thank you, Father, that it was your pleasure not to reveal this to the wise and the learned, but to little children. Not meaning literally little children, although certainly little kids can understand the gospel, but those who come in humility, no matter how smart you are, no matter how successful you are, that he might get the glory. Friends, before we move on, keep that in mind. First of all, be humble. Don't ever think God needs you. God uses you. God loves you. God made you. God gifted you. He doesn't need you. God could all eternity, God's outside of time anyway, without you. And he'd be fine and fully satisfied in his eternal glory. The Father in love with the Son, in love with the Father, and God enjoying perfect divine love for all eternity. But he loves you and he created you in his image. He doesn't need your gifts. He doesn't need your talents. He doesn't need your skills. And I apologize to the stewardship team here. He doesn't need your money. (laughs) But God can use your skills, and he uses your talents, and he uses your generosity or lack of skill, lack of ability, ultimately for his glory. Just another application, you know, be willing to take a chance on others who may or may not seem like they are fitting, elite, successful in the eyes of the Lord. Pray, seek the wisdom of God, look to the heart, and call people to take a step of faith. 24 to 47 though. The Lord fights. And that's what's happening in this passage. The Lord fights for his own glory and his own purposes here. Uh, do you know what the main character of this story is? It's not David. It's not Goliath. It's not Saul. It's the Lord. David convinces Saul to let him fight. Because he's motivated by the Lord's reputation. Notice that. Again and again, David's whole focus here is that how can you allow this man to continue to defy the armies of the living God? How can you continue to allow him to come out here and mock Israel? We're God's people. God is behind us. God is with us. Why would we allow him to continue to mock us? Really, in many ways, this is a battle of the gods that's happening here, like we saw earlier in the book of Samuel. Goliath is doing what? He's cursing. He curses David by his gods, which would be 
by the way, Dagon and Ashtoreth and Baal. And David's response is, no, the Lord of hosts, which is another name for the Lord Almighty, will give me victory. And notice, Saul doesn't get the glory here either. It's not about Saul's leadership here. In fact, David rejects Saul's armor. Not only is it too big and heavy for him, it just doesn't work, but Saul's not going to get the glory from the Lord here. (laughs) It's not going to say, well, he did have Saul's sword, and he did have Saul's army. No, David steps in with nothing but the clothes he's wearing and a staff in his hand. And David's final statement to Goliath, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hand. David knows that this is ultimately God's plan and God's battle here. Now, I want to note something, and that is, and this is maybe something that we often misunderstand about this passage, David had a plan. (laughs) So, yes, it's in God's hand, but he had a plan. It's not simply, I have no idea what I'm going to do, but hey, let me just give this a shot, right? Uh, Sometimes people say that, you know, with the church. Well, I I don't know, I'm not going to plan, I'm not going to think about this, I'm just going to let the Spirit lead me. Uh, oftentimes, the Holy Spirit uses good planning, just so you know, right? I know God has, can supersede our plans, but that's not the idea. First, David is actually not a weakling. He is a ruddy, tough, clearly courageous shepherd. Shepherds were strong. Shepherds were tough. They slept out there in the fields, and he is bold. And he explains his plan. Otherwise, why would Saul ever allow David to represent all that? If he loses, he loses for his whole nation. He says, I'm going to treat him like a bear or a lion. You don't engage a bear or a lion on its own terms. You know, David doesn't walk up to a bear and say, let's go, let's go. We're going to get into a fist fight here. He has a plan. He has a way of dealing with bears and lions. And he says, I'm going to do the same thing here. I'm going to approach it in a way that is different. In fact, I mentioned Malcolm Gladwell in his book. He talks about slingers. So a sling... Don't think of the little you know, slingshots that kids use. <laughs> this was a weapon of war. It was a common weapon of war. Um, and David knows, if I engage this giant in hand-to-hand combat, in a, in a melee term, of course he's going to defeat me. I'd have no chance. But if I think out of the box here, and I approach him with a ranged weapon, like a bow and arrow at the time, in this case a sling, then he won't even know what hits him. Literally. In fact, slingers would throw rocks at 60 miles per hour, and they were absolutely deadly. And here David probably used them on bears and lions to protect the sheep. David knows what he's doing here. Friends, we need to trust the Lord to give us victory. That doesn't mean we get everything we want if we trust the Lord in it. Okay, That's not the idea. Um, we saw this with Eli. They, he wanted a victory. They lost. Uh, you don't get everything you want. It does mean that God will accomplish his purposes. He will work out his plan, his will, through us. Some examples. It is God's plan for you to persevere in your faith. Trust him. Continue on. Don't lose hope. He will see you faithfully to the end. That's a battle that God wants you to face. Face it and keep going forward. It is God's will for you to be a good family man. So if you're a dad, Father's Day here, God wants you to be a good dad. 
<laughs> and he tells us in his word what it means to be a good dad. How to love your wife as Christ church. How to not exasperate your kids, but raise them in the discipline and the instruction of the Lord. Seek his wisdom, face that challenge, and overcome. It's the Lord's battle. He's put you in that place. He wants you to succeed. He wants the local church to be about the work of the Great Commission. To reach our city, to reach out through our missionaries around the world. That's a battle that God has set for us. And yes, he will carry us forward if we're faithful and we trust him in it. Pray. Follow his word. Don't turn to worldly methods. Step out in faith and wait upon the Lord. Matthew Henry, the commentator, says there is one conflict in which all the followers of the Lamb are and must be engaged. One enemy, more formidable than Goliath, still challenges the armies of Israel. But resist the devil and he will flee from you. Go forth to battle with the faith of David and the powers of darkness shall not stand against you. God wants you to overcome the temptations that you're facing towards sin, the challenges and the trials, the suffering that we face, and to continue on walking with him. It's the battle he set before you, and he will give you victory if we trust in him. And that's what brings us to this last section. The Lord brings victory through his anointed. Through his anointed. 48 to 57. God uses his anointed, David. Uh, God gives David the victory here. Remember when David got anointed specifically, uh, privately, by Samuel? David knows that. Almost nobody else knows that. Eliab knows that and a few others. So when he steps into that battle, he knows that God has called him forth to be the next king of Israel. Basically, victory is guaranteed for him. And he knows that with confidence because God has called him. He's confident enough to step out in faith. And as he wins, what happens? Israel already starts to turn to David as their newest spiritual leader. Actually, in reality, Saul was the one who should have fought. He was the Lord's anointed already. He's the tallest. He's the warrior. He looks the part. And if not Saul, Eliab, because he looks the part as well. But none of them have the courage. They says they were very afraid. But here in God's providence and in his plan, David steps forward into battle, wins, and is what happens from this point, he never goes back home. He's taken into the Lord's army, and he's one step closer to becoming the king. No doubt, friends, this story, as great as it is, it points us to another king. It's not merely a symbolic story. So I know that some people have sort of interpreted that over church history as if it's an allegory going into detail, even saying like the individual five stones refer to the five points of Calvinism or something like that. Or, no, that's not, there's not a symbolism in every aspect of this story. This happened in history. But how can you not see Jesus here? Our shepherd who faced our great enemy. death who mocks us and says I defy you people of God every one of you will end in death the wages of sin is death the gift of God is eternal life look back to the garden of Eden the day that you eat of this you will surely die 
And as it says in Corinthians, our greatest enemy, death itself. And yet we have one, the Lord's anointed, who steps forward in our place and faces down death for us. The son of David, from Bethlehem and Ephrathah, from Judah, who went to war for us and died our death. And no one is worthy (laughs) or able or willing to fight this battle but our anointed king in our behalf. Spurgeon said, I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts. These words might serve as a slogan for all those who are sent of Christ and represent him in the dread battle for precious souls. This was Christ's watchword when for our sakes and on our behalf he came to wrestle with sin, to bear the wrath of God and to vanquish death and hell. He came in the name of God. Friends, the Lord uses his anointed. This is what God does. He does it through all of history, by the way, not just David, but David's descendants. Also the prophets, priests, Esther, for such a time as this, has the Lord raised you up? Mary, the mother of Jesus, blessed by the Lord. The apostles called by God to be an apostle but also on a local level. God calls and he raises up people for specific purposes. He raises up elders here at our church and pastors, raises up deacons. He raises up you, if you're a dad, to be a dad to those kids that he's given you an influence over. But even more so, friends, we follow the anointed one, the Christ, Jesus. Friends, we still have our king. Jesus never stayed dead. He died for about three days, and that's it. So he's the risen king still, and we get behind him and follow him into victory. Trust him to give us the victories we need in this life and more into the next. Victory comes from the Lord. He uses the weak and the unexpected. That's you and me. He fights our battles and gives us the victory in the battles he calls us to win. And he calls us to get behind his anointed one, Jesus. Friends, I wonder what you are battling right now. Maybe it's health. You're dealing with an ongoing chronic pain, a scary prognosis recently, an upcoming surgery. Maybe it's doubt. Maybe you're at a place in life right now where You're beginning to doubt the truth of God and his word and his gospel. Maybe it's sin and temptation. There's some temptation in your life that has come back, some addiction, some constant pestering thing that calls you away from God and into sin. Maybe it's some challenge, some big decision you need to make. Maybe it's some conflict you're having with someone in your family or at work. Maybe it's just being a dad. You feel overwhelmed. Maybe you feel defeated. You're too weak for this battle. You're fearful. The message here is clear. Turn to the Lord. Let him fight your battle. His anointed one, the Lord Jesus, gives us victory. Pray with me.
Gracious God, we thank you for your word, for this engaging story. But more than that, Lord, thank you for the truth that it reveals to us of you. And that it is that the Lord himself fights for his people. And that victory comes from you. Lord, every one of us, I think, are fighting something. Whether that's that sinful temptation, whether that's that health issue, or that challenge we're facing in life, or at work, with our family, with our marriage, with our parenting. Whatever it may be, Lord, help us to hear your word this morning. Receive it. That victory comes from you to trust you, depend upon you, and look to your anointing. Lord Jesus Christ, who we follow faithfully to the end and who will carry us into eternity. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.